This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the writer, comedian and presenter Max Dickens. His new book, Billy No Mates, looks at the problems men have with friends. Studies show that as they get older, men's social circles begin to shrink, which is a problem because, as I always say on this pod, sharing and talking to people close to you is so important for your mental health. So why is it that men find it easier to drift out of friendships than women do? And what can we do about it? Max has been investigating this in his book, I'll leave him to explain it further. I hope you enjoy listening to this fascinating chat. Max, welcome to The Reset. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's a real pleasure. Uh, Congratulations on the book. It's a brilliant subject, very funny. Um, Let me start by asking you this. Max, when did you realise that you had no mates? (laughs) It was in the pub or in the evening, maybe after I'd been to the pub, I'd just been shopping for an engagement ring. The whole plan was to propose to my girlfriend, Naomi, and I took a female pal along with me for moral and aesthetic support in the shop, trying to work out what on earth I'm going to get to propose with. Then in the pub afterwards, this female pal says, uh, so let's get to it. Who are you thinking is best man? And I sort of parried the question and my mind went a bit blank. I thought, oh, it's just in the moment. I can't think of anyone. I went back that night, piece of paper, pen, made a list of all my male friends. And I looked at it and I realized I work with most of them. And they think it's pretty weird if I ask them to be (laughs) my best man. And then the rest of them, I was like, wow, I haven't spoken to these guys in some cases for one, two, three years. And I just thought, gosh, where have all my friends gone? Yeah. And how did that that make you feel? Did it bother you a lot? Yeah, it did bother me. Um, it, 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 it first it made me curious, thinking, how have I not noticed till till now? And I think I hadn't noticed largely because I don't look like a lonely guy. I'm I, you know, I'm pretty young, pretty outgoing. Um, I was busy, busy with with my girlfriend's mates, busy with doing bits and bobs of family stuff, busy with work. So I never felt completely disconnected. But then I think often with friendship. You don't realise you haven't got it until you need it. Mm. And in this case, I needed it because of the wedding. But there's all sorts of places in people's lives where you need a friend and you can go, wow, there's no one there. And and the other thing it made me feel was complete embarrassment, to be quite honest with you, because you immediately get time travel back to school and being the you don't want to be the guy on the bus, you know, that no one wants to sit next to, mm. or the guy on the lunch hall, no one will have have, have their dinner with. 
and uh, it's pretty. It is pretty embarrassing. I think as a as a culture, we don't like to talk about loneliness, and especially men don't like to talk about it. Yeah, um, but if you you know you had you you hadn't noticed that it was missing until this best best man situation. Obviously, that's a very specific, quite practical role. But how did did, did you start to think? Well, what are the areas other than this day to day that a sort of a, a solid male friendship would help with? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I I, I sort of realised that. I had no one to go to to talk about anything big and meaty or if I had to make a decision about a big thing or if I had to think out loud to someone or if I was having a a pretty tough maybe mental health time or a tough time in my relationship. I had no avenue for that or certainly no male avenue. I may have had a couple of female friends who I could do that with, but I didn't have any male friends and, and, and also... On the flip side of that, because I think often the conversation with with mental health is to do with some of the bad, you know, the tough times in life and the bad stuff. But I also had no one to celebrate with. If I got a piece of good news, no one to share that with. You know, ring them up and go, "This has happened," and I just let, kind of witness me, witness me be happy or sharing. Yeah, just go if it go out for a drink or whatever it is. Go out for, have have some food and just kind of have that someone to share that with. And so I suppose it's that feeling of people knowing me, but knowing me on quite a superficial level and, and not much deeper than that. And also feeling with the guys I knew in my life, my inverted commas, mates, because I think friends is slightly different to mates, mm. feeling I didn't really know them either. And and that just felt quite untethering and discombobulating. So you decided to sort of look into why this was the case. So you obviously, you know, began to think, well, I don't think it's just me. Mm. You, you you identified it as an issue, I guess, or you yeah. suspected it was a broader issue. So yeah, well, where I mean, did that lead you? Yeah, sure. Immediately after I made that list, I Googled getting married, no best man. <laughs> and there was something like, I mean, I can't remember the specific numbers in the book, 928 million results. And so I started wow. reading some of this stuff. And a lot of the links on the front page of Google were quotes on wedding website forums from from would-be grooms basically going i haven't got a best man i don't know what to do they were getting all sorts of terrible advice like why don't you use your dog or something like that or <laughs> you know ask a bloke in your local pub to come and do it <laughs> and i realized oh this is a thing and then the more i looked into it uh i realized that it's pretty well established actually no one's really talking about it but since they started measuring this stuff or social scientists have started measuring it in the early seventies, men have had less friends than women, especially less close friends. And we might get into what the word close means. So a, a recent Movember survey uh, suggested that one in three men have no close friends. That same survey uh, asked a selection of men, how many people in your life did you talk about something serious with something like a money problem, a health problem, relationship problem, one in two so 50% said they could think of nobody at all. So there's that side of it, lack of intimacy in their friendships. And the second problem I discovered men have is that as we get older, our social world shrinks and women's doesn't shrink in the same way at all. So if you look at when men retire or if they're slightly older, they get bereaved or maybe divorced, men have worse physical and mental health outcomes than women because they are isolated. It's just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, the de- kind of slightly depressing thing is, is, as adults, from about your late 20s, where the, the data suggests your social life peaks, everyone's social world does shrink slightly. You get busy, basically, with family, job, um, uh, relationship. But women shrinks way less than men. And I just thought, this is such a consistent result for so long. Mm. Why? What's going on? And I decided to look into it. Yeah, so uh, I bet you you were slightly chuffed to find out that it wasn't just you, though. Oh, massively. <laughs> um, but it, it's quite a hard thing to talk about, I think, especially talking about with your own mates, because it seems like a judgment on them mm. to go, oh, are we mates? Are we not mates? What what does that even mean? Um, 
so yeah it's a hard conversation to have so it's almost easier to do a very public <laughs> yeah search for a best man and then kind of have the conversations as a lovely uh kind of collateral to that yeah um, but it's it i mean it's the book's been really great in terms of having friends come out of the woodwork and message me going like oh yeah sorry being rubbish or we should we should have a drink or we should reconnect so that's been great and people have messaged me saying they're doing the same things in their friendship groups. So mm. I'm glad it's having some impact. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, reading your stuff has totally made me kind of assess my, you know, my own friendships and you, you take a lot for granted, you take a lot of historical friendships for granted. Like you say, you look back at old mates who you mm. kind of thought you, you, you probably thought, well, they'll always count as my best mates. When you realize you haven't seen them for years and lives, especially as you get older, change so radically. I mean, when you're young, you can not see each other for a year and you see each other and things are more or less the same. Once you've got married or your career's taken off or you've got kids, you see someone, a mate you haven't seen in five years, you're a completely different person. So it is important and it takes effort to sort of keep checking in. So definitely I think your book would have made a big difference um, because it's also just so vulnerable to say, to use a phrase that resonates with so many people, Billy No Mates. It makes everyone look at themselves and think, shit, yeah, that's me. Um, so what you started digging into why this might be. What what were the, the things you discovered, the, you know, the reasons for this phenomenon? Sure. So, I mean, there are basically three broad theories, and you could argue the third one interacts with the first two. But the first one is something that I'm sure people would be pretty familiar with, which is essentially it's to do with gender norms. So some people use the phrase, inverted commas, toxic masculinity. I don't love that phrase. A lot of people don't. But what what we're getting at here is I think what has become culturally quite well known, there are certain ways that men are, uh, have learned how to behave, mm. which are maybe unhealthy in terms of, being open to developing intimacy. So, and if you look on a practical sense of the rules we bring to our friendships with blokes, there are quite a few rules, right? The rules of the road, they're unspoken, but they're there. Uh, you know, one very simply is, you know, when you go and meet up with a friend, a male friend, I mean, where do you do it? You tend to do it in the pub. Mm. Uh, or if you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do all the vast plethora of activities you might do with a female friend. So I might, female friend might say, oh, I'm having a walk down the South Bank. Or, do you want to come? Or uh, I'm going to a coffee shop or we're going out for dinner or we're going to an art gallery, whatever that is. There's loads of different ways of being with your female friends. With your male friends, it tends to be the context is often based around boozing, for example, uh, or based around competition. So maybe you're, um, you know, it's a sport thing or something. And so that context means that it's quite hard to have the sort of more meaningful conversation. But beyond that, other rules that we all know, we're not necessarily, I think it's a taboo in male friendships that it's, it, you should keep things light. You should be frothy and fun. And humour is such a massive part of the, the dynamic, the vibe, which is one of the great things. But it's also, I think, one of the things that maybe creates an environment where there's no permission or p implicitly it feels like there's no permission to go there because it might get turned into a joke or the other person might not be able to reciprocate. I mean, I can keep on going with these rules, but you can see how some of these ways that we've learned how to be with one another maybe stop us having going from being mates to being close friends. And so when I reflected on that in my own life, uh, I, I immediately was slightly got, got my hackles up being reading that I would be toxically masculine. I just thought, no, no, that seems patronizing. It seems like this is other men. This is Harvey Weinstein. It's not me. Mm. And then I went to a party with my, with Naomi, girlfriend. And afterwards, and she, she, we were coming back and she said, do you realize what you like with men? Like I watched you on the other side of the room. It's like a different person. Like you, you, your whole body, your whole physicality changes. Mm. You get louder, you get more belligerent. Like the way mm. you're sort of interacting with guys is like the, I mean, you might call it banter. You could, it's called like the flirtatious competition you have with, with guys. And I realise, yeah, maybe I do become this. I do perform my masculinity around other men. And it was an interesting idea to me that masculinity was not just something that was in me, but was between me and other guys. Something happens in that space, mm. which is maybe not conducive to, to those more intimate conversations. So that was the, the first theory. 
I mean, vulnerability is a, a, a lot there. I find that, you know, I've got girl mates whose main line of humour when I see them is sort of taking the piss out of themselves um, mm. quite a lot and sort of just almost like using their vulnerability as their biggest source of humour, like very self-deprecating. And that's quite entertaining and disarming to be around. With a lot of guys, you know, you take the piss. We all take the piss out of each other, and that is a right laugh. But taking a piss out of yourself or being vulnerable, it almost is like a bit defensive, really, isn't it? There's a lot of that. I mean, it's a cliche, but there there is a lot of one-upmanship, quite subtle amongst men, even mates. And being vulnerable just doesn't can't play a part in that at all, can it? No, no, absolutely not. Um, and funnily enough, you mentioned different ways maybe men and women use humour or what mm. it looks like. I, I didn't put it in the book, but there is quite a lot of research that, yeah, almost exactly what you said is is mm. borne out in when people have looked at this from a more scientific lens. Women tend to make jokes about themselves, whereas men tend to make jokes about other people. When it's there. You see that in, I mean, you're stand-up too. You see that even in stand-up. When I think of the like female stand-ups, it's much more rich their routines in sort of self-deprecating humour the, the male ones. I mean, it's a generalisation, but you don't often see a man come on stage and open with, like, something about how shit his life is. I mean, it, it happens, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's it's Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... The whole way men use humour, I think, is really interesting. And it's... I always think it's one of the... It, it's, this is another thing, though, that we could get into, perhaps, is that Sometimes the way men use humour, so the, the, the banter, the taking the piss, mm. is in a sense a form of intimacy. Yeah. It's like, say I'm with you and we're ripping into each other. That There's a game going on there. And what is the game? The game is, I know enough, enough about you to know that A, you trust me, and B, I've got some stuff I can play with. And we all know we're playing it and vice versa. And we know this is the rules of the game. I mean, you can't do that with someone who isn't your mate. If, if a stranger came over and started ripping into you, you'd be like, I'm going to lamp this guy. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, this... I'm just thinking, like, I've just met you, right? Yeah. And we're we're having a pretty open chat. But I wouldn't start taking the piss out of you right now because I've only just met you face to face. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, like, you seem like a bloke with very good sense of humour, obviously. But, yeah, I just wouldn't do it. If I do it to someone, then it's my way of saying, this shows I like you and that I feel that we've really bonded now. Do you know what I mean? You're right. It's about yeah. trust, isn't it, I suppose? Letting yeah. someone take the piss. Yeah, absolutely. So I always try and caveat these conversations with with that because around around when we talk about how men use humour and jokes and stuff, because there's a lot of good stuff to it as well. I suppose it's just, you know, I spoke to someone yesterday and they said um, they were starting this, this Instagram thing where they'd sort of read personal development books and they sort of review them and talk about how they were applying it. And it was a new project that was important to them. And they, they, and then they put it on like the boys WhatsApp group going, Oh, I'm doing this by the way. And then they went to sleep. They woke up and it was just, you know, <laughs> pages and pages of people absolutely ripping them a new one. <laughs> and then he said almost straight away, I made the account private and I stopped using it. And I just thought that's when it maybe is like, you know, there's probably some stuff to take the mickey of there. And, you know, we've got to have a laugh, be able to laugh at ourselves. But then it's like that that grey area of what is the environment going to be conducive to? What mm. what do people have permission to do? And, like, I, I certainly had some feedback where, as part of writing it, because I kept on being told that I couldn't have these open, more sort of vulnerable conversations. So I thought, well, what's a good way of practising it? And so I started going to a, to a therapist, not because I necessarily had any big problem I was trying to untangle. It was more like I should get comfortable with these sorts of chats. And eventually she said to me, the thing is with Emax is you can talk about anything in an intellectual way. You can talk about it in a funny way, but people pick up a vibe that you're not open. If they share something with you, they think you can't reciprocate. So no wonder you've got no close friends. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sort of, I saw my, uh, she was absolutely right. And what's was what the hard one of the hardest things with this whole thing I've found is so much part of my identity, a lot of because of what I do, but also because who I've been since I was bloody ten years old at school is being the funny one, mm. right? And it's always a bit dangerous to say you're the funny one on a podcast because everyone's like, go on then. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, letting go of that and letting myself show up slightly differently or being able to 
be serious was, you know, something I really had to, I'm still, I still fight against it. I'm still like, come on, we need a joke here. But actually, you've got to pick your moments and understand that different contexts or yeah, different moments is probably a better word than context need you to be a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally relate to all of this because for years, like, you know, I just grew up in a piss take culture. I always kind of was on the front foot. From an early age, I was sort of like, I, I realised the best way to avoid the pain of having the piss taken out of you is to take the piss better than other people or certainly get the first punch in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, literally, you, you walk into the first it's the playground, then it's the pub, and you're mm. coming out of it straight away. Brutality, right? But I've I've realised since I started doing things like this podcast and writing about mental health and stuff that, like, basically you you can you can still be a laugh but the moment you start openly admitting vulnerabilities or flaws or weaknesses or worries it um disarms people mm. uh but it's a fucking hard thing to do isn't it like to yeah. take that first step i i think me personally i took a first step and then it kind of now it's gone the other way i've got fucking vulnerability Tourette's bore people stupid with it i've gone to extreme i've got to find a balance but <laughs> To begin with, it's very, very difficult to get that thing where you, you stop just sort of being aggressively on the front foot with your humour and start being open to just sort of admit that you've got weaknesses or worries, right? That, yeah. That's a big thing for blokes. It's a massive thing. And also, I I, I find old habits die hard. Mm. And I've kind of felt like it took me a couple of years to research, write the book, and obviously I was doing trying to – change my friendships, change who I was in that time. Um, and I kind of thought I cracked it. So the book's come out. But, you know, I still have to overcome some of these habits. It's very easy to get back into the old groove of how you are. And I find like, you know, I think this all connects, by the way, more generally. So how you are in your marriage, if you're married or in your relationship, these are similar skills. And I think you rub up against this, sometimes internal conflict, sometimes your old habits, and you have to keep on being self-aware about going there and, and, and getting it so it, you don't have to think about it and overcome that sense of shame or that sense of reluctance with, with a lot of this vulnerability stuff, a lot of this emotional stuff. Mm. So I kind I just kind of wanted to share that, I think, because I think it's something that is going to take time and it's all right sometimes to be conflicted about it and, and, and to not always get it right. You've just got to be self-aware. You learn this stuff, I should say, through relationships. You, know, mm -hmm. you, you can't – we can all understand the theoretically how we should be vulnerable and stuff. But at the coalface, where there are stakes, where you're worried you're going to be laughed at, that's when mm. kind of the, the real – it really matters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, walking it as you talk it is um... – yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I find myself, you know, I can listen to the things you say and I've read the stuff you've written and I agree with it all. I can still be down. I can still be with mates and just basically say something and come away thinking that was a cheat laugh, but I feel a bit of an arsehole now <laughs> or whatever. You know, like you, it doesn't quite fit in with what you know you need to be doing. And you're right. It is old habits. We've been conditioned from an early age track like this, haven't we? It's yeah. something I wanted to ask you about. I don't know whether you've covered this or not, but and I, and I'm mindful of the fact that you're 14 years younger than me, so you might be a hell of a lot lot less grumpy. But I do notice myself becoming grumpy as I get older, and and that affects my male friendships for this reason. I've been thinking about this in the build up to speaking to you. I was thinking about my male relationships. I was thinking even my close ones. Sometimes if I go out with a mate or a couple of mates and they annoy me right with something they've said or done right i then retreat into myself because i i i, I realize i don't do this consciously but i think what i do is i think that ah, fuck that i'm just not going to see them for a while because they just annoyed me <laughs> i don't want to get into an argument i don't want to have conflict but actually they're just annoying so i'm going to distance myself and then like if you do that with a couple of people suddenly you haven't seen people and that is grumpiness that's when you realize you're heading towards old manhood and you realize that the old men you saw growing up who were very often just like you know like you'd go around your mate's house and he'd have a dad that was just always just sat behind a newspaper <laughs> not really talking to anyone yeah yeah he was constantly silent older man i was thinking 
fuck, that's what I'm going to become because I'm <laughs> grumpy. I fit, and I don't know whether that's something that that is, is something that you you've covered or looked at. But I think that I'm just sort of. I mean, it certainly fits in with something I know you have covered, which is not making as much of an effort as you perhaps should, or or that women do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just become intolerant. Yeah. So there there are three things here that come to mind, and I'm not saying all of them are true of you at all. But mm. like when you when you, I think you've really touched on something there. So. If we kind of part friendship for a moment, which is slightly different to loneliness, but there's loads of research on the impact of loneliness. And and there's this thing when people get lonely, it's hypervigilant. So it goes back to loneliness. The point of loneliness is that, you know, back in our evolutionary past, when we got detached from our tribe, we're very vulnerable to basically being eaten or, you know, attacked by other tribes. So it's like a hunger, a social hunger that makes you want to go back to the tribe, Right. But part part of this is hypervigilance. So if you're detached from your tribe, you become very aware of threats in your environment and you get very often sort of quite anxious. But part of it is getting quite irritated by people. So you find people are lonely long term. They they start judging social interactions way more negatively than someone who isn't lonely. And they're not aware that's what's going on. That's what happens, which is why when you see a, like a lonely old person. And- a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And they're, they're, you think, oh, I want to kind of look after them, but they're an absolute pain in the ass. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's because they are hypervigilant, right? So they get very spiky, they behave quite weirdly and antisocially, and then it almost gets worse and worse. So I thought of that when you spoke. The second thing I thought was how we deal with conflict as blokes. And I think mm-hmm. this is because I had a thing when I looked at some male friendships where we had a bit of a falling out. Like like you, I just oh, I can't be asked for that. That's just yeah. I'm not I'm not going to bring it up because I don't want to have a row. I want a simple yeah. life. Yeah, and yeah. then I just think, what uh, do you know? What I don't really get on with them anymore. Or like, oh, I can't. They get on my tits, right? <laughs> <laughs> rather than rather than going. And it, I think it's, again, it's how we handle emotion, right? Because it is quite a difficult conversation. Rather than have the conversation, we run away from it. So, I mean, I've done the same in relationships with women before, where you know. You know, the relationship's ruined because I won't bring up something that's been mm. so simmering for me for ages. But saying, mate, when you said that, that 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 did annoy me or that did upset me or, mate, you keep on coming 20 minutes late whenever we meet up and I just find it really rude. It makes me feel really small. But mm. whatever it is, and then often that conversation, I think, will go better than you think or it will solve the problem and then, you know, the, the friendship's saved. So th- I think it's connected to the sort of conversations we have. But then finally, to kind of pivot out of what you said about doing the work in, in friendships. So I think this is one reason women have better better friendships. So they are much more likely to do the thought work, the literal clerical work, mm-hmm. the imaginative work of maintaining their friendships, their relationships. Mm. So often in, in actual romantic relationships, it will be the woman who, if it's a straight relationship, it will be the woman who, you know, makes sure that's the something booked for New Year's Eve. Make mm. sure you're off to a party with some friends. And it's someone's birthday. They've bought a card. Mm. You know, mm. they're, um, you know, it's a fancy dress party. You've obviously not looked at the invites because you, you're all over the place. They're like, you've got a dress as uh, <laughs> Boy George, by the way. Whatever mm. it is, they're doing all that yeah. sort of thing. They do the admin. 
the admin, yeah. exactly. The, the life admin and also the kind of the, the whole, the mental load of it. Mm. And then in their friendships, they do the same. So my now wife said, you know, the thing is, it's on the lazy Susan for me, right? I've mm. got career. I've got being married to you. I've got um, uh, my hobbies and my friendships are on the lazy Susan. And so mm. it's something I'm always thinking about. And I'm maintaining everything at each point. Whereas you, Max, the thing is with you is you you don't do that. It's not something that's even on the dashboard of your life, mm-hmm. right? But also you don't organize stuff. So something I bring up when I talk about this, if I can, is I spoke to a guy who's got great male friendships. And I said to him, well, you know, what's the secret? And he said, well, my mates all call me the Sherpa, as in the guy that, you know, the Nepalese mm. soldiers that carry all the equipment up the mountain. And he said... My mates call me the Sherpa because I organise everything. But if I didn't organise everything, we'd never see each other. And I just thought it was a really simple kind of practical one-liner to take away. Mm. Is be the Sherpa. Be the mm. one that does bring people together, that connects people. And then the flip side of that is sometimes because men are shit, you'll get a bit pissed off and be like, why is it always me? But we need leadership in social situations. Mm. And the people who do that work, eventually it gets reflected back on them and they're the ones with tons of mates. Um, talking of like you know those get-togethers, how, how important is it that they ha- have to be with men activity-based? Yeah, so this is like the, I said there were three theories. This is the second one then, which is you know if if it was all about having great conversations and changing some of these masculine norms, pretty clearly since the seventies when they're measuring this stuff, m- men are softer. However, you want to define that word, right? You know, they're more we could we. Mm. There are more ways of being a man. So you'd think friendships would have got better for blokes, but the stats say they haven't really. So there must be something else going on as well. And so this kind of touches into sort of biology or something more innate. So we've evolved. There is a theory largely expounded by a guy called Dr. Robin Dunbar, who's a very famous researcher, evolutionary anthropologist. And there's loads of evidence for this, I should say. I've not just plucked it out of my arse. Mm. Said that fundamentally, men and women have a different social world. So female friendships tend to be face to face, based around talk and a lot of emotional disclosure, and they'll tend to have quite intense one on one relationships. Male friendships tend to be side by side, based around sharing activities, doing stuff together, Mm. and often it's groups. They're doing it in a group of people, so they won't say, "I have one best friend." They'll go, "My best friends are Phil, Craig, John, and." yeah, you know, Raj, whatever it is. Um, and so the idea is that when time gets scarcer, as you get a bit older, activities cost more time than just having a chinwag on the phone, meeting up and having a coffee and having a chat. So, you know, male friendships become much harder to maintain and develop. But then the flip side of that, and there's loads to that, but the flip side to that is, you know, women have less time as they get older. You know, women are, are in the workplace as well. Women are doing a lot of the work at home, uh, mm. but their friendships are okay. And it's because that thing we're talking about, they, they're more savvy with doing the kind of the work, the grunt, the grunt work and the thought, the thought work of maintaining relationships. Yeah. So it's basically being sort of switched on. I mean, I tell you one thing that, for me, it was like when I stopped drinking seven years ago, it was like I had no ideas beyond do you want to meet for a drink? Yeah. So I've so and and to be honest, you still sort of a lot of time I'll drink a non-alcoholic beer or I've bloody three Coca-Colas in a night or something like that. Because a lot of my best mates drink. And it's yeah. like I just you you touched on it earlier. I just don't I can't even say the words. Do you want to meet for a coffee sometimes? And I'm seven years sober because it sounds like so. It sounds almost so twee, doesn't it? It sounds like yeah. I don't know, but it's um it's difficult. But I've got um a friend who I sort of will meet up with once in a while for a, like a walking weekend, and that's great. You know, you you do loads and loads of talking. And my other main mates are just mates that I go to the football with, but. Yeah. It's interesting going to the football. Uh, they're like my oldest group of friends who I've been going with for like 30 years or more. But we kind of all sit down next to each other and watch mm. the game. Yeah. And talk, often not about the game at all. We do talk about, so how's work? Or how's your relationship going or whatever? Yeah. But never looking at each other in the eye at all. Absolutely. You know? 
yeah you can see that anywhere if you if you go out and next time you're in a pub if you're listening to this just look at how men when they're together sit it's really interesting mm. but but do you know what what you said there about going to watch are you a spurs fan no i'm west ham fan west ham all right yeah so um we it's so side by side in the stand chatting about stuff. So it made me think of, I went to a men's shed, which is a very famous initiative. There's tons of them in the UK and all over the world. It was literally people put up sheds and men show up and they make stuff, they fix stuff, have a few cups of tea. But I went to visit one and I said to the, I said to the guy running it, I said, you know, the thing is men don't talk to each other, do they? And he sort of went with respect, that's bollocks. Look at this today. Mm. You can't shut these lads up. Mm. And it's because they are, they have, a pretense they have a distracting activity and then all the conversations are having around it and actually he says we do get to some quite big conversations but you have to come in at a side door to these conversations if yeah. you want men to have them he said look he called it like health by stealth which is yeah. a bit it's like a cheesy phrase but you kind of can get at how this works and the thing is people don't like talking about differences sex differences these days because it seems i don't know maybe a bit threatening to some of some of the modern gender politics mm. but i think if you don't appreciate them you can't actually come up with solves that get at get at the issue and, and get it right and that's true of mental health and it's true of loneliness do you think um you don't have kids yet do you but no not quite but, but do you think that like you know a, a lot of this there is clearly i've got a boy and a girl and clearly there is more from a very early age for whatever reason there was just more literally in my daughter's lexicon in you know in the way that she knows the words to communicate emotionally and if you see the way that her and her friends communicate uh even like on social media or whatever you know that they they're just emotional in their language and it's literally mm. the words the vocabulary that my son and his mates are just don't almost possess they're not they're not aware of the language so is there anything you feel uh, that, you know, we could be teaching our, our kids, particularly our sons, more. Yeah, I mean, how how old is, if you don't want me to ask. My son's 10 and my right. daughter's 15. But my daughter, like, from a, from when she was 10, she was like, there was a lot of hugging and a lot of talking quite deeply about friendship. Too much, to be honest. But, you know, there was a lot of relationship drama. But they have the vocabulary. And boys, I tried to encourage it in my son, to be honest, to, for him to talk more you know, and, and open yeah. up and 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 I tell him to do try to be like that with his mates to a degree, but just kind of like not openly hostile, but he just sort of like looks straight through me. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, why, why are you talking about this? It's boring. Yeah. I kind of unpack this quite a lot in the in the book and there's quite a lot of there's it, there's loads of interesting stuff here. I mean so I spoke to one loads of developmental psychologists who look at kids basically and as, as they develop and up until about the ages of four and five they say you can't tell boys and girls apart in terms of how they are with one another mm. you know boys look like girls they're very physically intimate very emotionally verbose so they, they're not afraid to talk about that stuff and then there's begins like an arc where women start to look like and, and behave like archetypal women and men mm. vice versa so the argument is why does that happen so some people say it's because we just absorb these kids are so clever on picking up on social cues right it's just that it's amazing how plastic their brains are mm. so they witness stuff and they they are just role modeling what they see so there's one argument that the reason why your daughter is more emotionally articulate than your son is because she's maybe picked up on these gender norms at school in her social groups i don't know maybe uh, at home and and your son it's similar. So there is some research that suggests that, for example, boys are not asked to uh, dwell on on the the feelings part of experience. So I mean, a practical thing would be like when you've got a boy, don't just say what happened, then say and how did that make you feel. And they, they might be a bit awkward with it, but they're getting used to having just kind of reflecting and becoming self aware and labeling those those emotions. There's also, I think. Yeah, a lot of psychologists said to me that what to, how do we react to suffering? And they said they give an example of like say you've got a six year old boy, six year old girl, they fall over in the supermarket, graze their knee, and they're crying. Often you go up to the girl and it's like, oh, you're right, it's going to be okay, it's all right. Very comforting and validating them being mm. upset. Whereas you go up to the boy, you pick up the boy and go, come on, you know, we don't cry, do we? You'd be a brave boy. Mm. 
and it's almost subliminally saying, or not even subliminally, explicitly saying, you know, get on with it. Don't. Yeah. You're not. You're not meant to feel like this. You're certainly not not meant to show it. So there's something in that. But a lot of these differences emerge cross culturally. They emerge at quite a young age, and they are visible in non-human primates. A lot of these differences. So. I think there is both things going on, the culture stuff and the and then and the nature stuff. But you know, this is kind of like the sixty-four thousand dollar question is the balance between the two. Yeah, I mean, stoicism being encouraged, particularly in boys, is an interesting one because you know, there's a lot of discussions like the one we're having now these days about mental health and about, you know, feeling comfortable being vulnerable and and all the rest of it. But, of course, there are other people in society who are saying that that's turned us all into snowflakes and, like, literally everything knocks us down. We've over-validated our children's feelings, you know. Mm. Um, I, I kind of, you know, obviously I can see sense in both arguments. I, I'm much more about trying to validate the way my son feels as much as I can. Uh, and And stoicism... I mean, it's got a role to play, but it can be dangerous, can't it? Encouraging too much of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all about context, mm. different contexts and different appropriate behaviours. Um, you know, for example, I'm chatting to you I'm at the Edinburgh Festival. We've got a show being put on. So I've got a play I've written, basically, two actors, director, lighting person, sound person, all, all that jazz. And it's been quite stressful getting that show ready and getting it in the space. Mm. And we're time poor, like we need to get on with it. So everyone being very upset in that environment is is actually a selfish behavior. It's not appropriate in that context. We need to be stoic and we need to get on with it. But there are going to be times in life where it is absolutely the context demands that you drop all that stuff. So you maybe need to... um, if you're having a really hard time in your marriage, open up about it because that that in that in that environment is appropriate. So that kind of kind of the big thing I think is men don't have to become more like the cliched woman, right? But they do have to have different tools in their toolbox so they can tackle the plethora of conversations that you have in a well lived life. And that's it is it's as kind of as complex and as simple as that, I think. So, Max, what are the most um, practical things and improvements that you've made over the last couple of years since you started looking into this? Um, firstly, to kind of speak to what we were mentioning about activities is friendship, as you get a bit older, relies on structure, routine, ritual. If you rely on spontaneity all the time, then you're going to have a hard time. So you've got to try and get things in that are, are regular. Um, so I started a five-a-side thing that we do every fortnight. Um, not everyone always shows up all the time, but it's it's something that everyone's got in their diaries and it's a good reason to get together. Also, people bring friends of friends, so you kind of get to meet other people. Then we have a go to the pub afterwards and have a drink maybe. And it's it's just a, ni- a nice kind of structure. I also started doing this thing called Pub Club. I seem obsessed with drinking the more I say this, but, <laughs> but you know, once a month I get a space in a pub and I text everyone and say, everyone who you've put off meeting up with, with that immortal phrase of male friendship, which is we must have a pint sometime, invite them down, come and join us mm. for soft drink, hard drink, whatever you want. Uh, so those kind of structures, routines, rituals, whatever that m- makes sense in your life. If you don't have a friendship group at the moment, mm. it's about joining clubs of things you're interested in. You know, someone locally to me, CrossFit gym, she, he told me like they put on the 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 branded t-shirt walk around town and people come up to them and go like oh are you a member you must come to a social like mm. having that kind of structure that environment uh, secondly be the sherpa so go first mm. uh and and do that organizing and just make, just kind of have this thing semi-regularly where you're just going through the kind of roller decks of your friends and going when's the last time i connected do i need to message them and a simple thing whenever they come into your mind text them and say Hello, mate, just thought about you just now. How are you getting on? Or just they can be as simple as that, but just staying checked in. And in terms of practic practically, uh, with the more the conversation stuff, I think tell your friends that you like them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that seems so basic. Yeah. And like I think a lot of the time it's implicit, like we said with the banter thing. 
and we kind of suspect it. I've had, I realized I had loads of friends who had no idea that I, you know, really liked them, and I had no idea yeah. they liked me back. Yeah, and it changes the energy between you, and it doesn't have to be cheesy and kind of, you know, gushy, but friendship should feel like friendship. And I think mm. I explore this in the book a bit. It's like often you only feel like you've got a male friend when the shit hits the fan and they show up at your door with a deliveroo and they're there to kind of be like, it'll be all right, mate. Yeah. And like, oh, that's great. They're so loyal. I'm really glad they're here. But yeah. in between those times, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure this guy's into it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, that is a really powerful thing you've just said, tell your friends you like them because it is so fucking rare. It's almost the last thing you do, yeah. right? You you feel like you show it, maybe if you but you go, oh well, they know because I show it. But actually, the other day I sent a, a really old mate, one of my oldest mates in the world, an old photo that I I found from a school trip we'd gone on when we were sixteen, and we were both in this photo. So I sent it to him, and he wrote back, "Jesus, I was handsome, right." <laughs> I was handsome back then. And I found myself writing back. You know, when you sort of ponder for a few seconds what your response is. And I just wrote back, still are, mate. And I thought, my, my thumb hovered while I was waiting for the twist. <laughs> yeah. Like the 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 asshole twist that I felt, you know, yeah. that I, I felt I had to add to it, obviously. Because as you said earlier, there are rules to this sort of thing. Yeah. And then I just pressed send. And I thought to myself, that's weird. And I'll tell you something, he hasn't responded to that. Yeah. But I don't, <laughs> but I don't mind um, because I, but it really, I thought, fucking hell, that was weird. I just wrote back with no twist or gag. Mm. I was like, just, you are still handsome, mate. And I think compliments, unironic compliments with no twist are fucking rare. But if a mate says it to you, it is so massively powerful. And I only can remember really doing that with mates exactly as you say when they're in a really bad spot like a mate of mine got divorced he was depressed and i spent a long time telling him that he was a good guy and then explaining to him why i thought he was a good guy and going back through our lives and and pinpointing moments where he'd been a good guy but that was because it was a fucking crisis so yeah. they'd only pulled it out then i would never just i mean it was it was a long speech right but you don't like you say you don't need long speeches but no. it's fucking huge to tell someone you like them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so just a couple of quick things off the back of that, because that's, I mean, a great, great story. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, uh, I was, it was a brilliant sentence. He said, I've never felt like my best friend's best friend. And I was like... <laughs> oh, 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 brutal. I was yeah. like, oh, I get that. Yeah, I get that. yeah. Because... Because even because we because we don't we don't kind of communicate it very well. But also talking about compliments, obviously when I talk about this book or or kind of what I'm up to, a lot of guys have said to me, "Do you know what? I never get compliments. Mm. I never get compliments from the men in my life. I get them from women I know, but men don't give compliments. They often don't give them to women, and maybe that's complicated by other things mm. but men do not receive many compliments and they often they definitely don't give each other many compliments it's a very simple powerful thing and it's borne out in i looked at some research into it. i didn't put it in the book in the end but i just thought oh the compliment thing is not bs like we we just don't do it i think you're right it feels like it could be cheesy or gushing and but like you say there is a way there is a tone of pulling this off and i'm no fucking expert because like i just said i i am guilty of not doing this to my mates but when you do do it you can do it with humor that's not piss taking like i could say to you like max yeah it's looking great mate look at that i wish i had a hair i wish i had if i had hair i would have it like yours i have been actually admiring your hair in all honesty but like you know like you can say it and then just move on. And you can say it with a smile on your face. I think people think you have to suddenly become a weird American. You know, like yeah. an American where you kind of put your hand on their shoulder and look <laughs> deep in and go, I just want you to know you're a great guy. you got great <laughs> hair. And it just sounds like crap. But you can just yeah. say it with a smile on your face and move on, can't you? And, it, and hopefully yeah. it will live inside them for a, for a little while afterwards. Absolutely. And do you know what? That's when the banter stuff suddenly becomes potent because yeah. when a man 
will who one moment is absolutely ripping you a new one then says oh um i thought i i, I thought the speech you gave earlier at dave's birthday i thought it was really brilliant mm. and really moving i thought you did a fantastic job well done mm. that is way more powerful because of the contrast because you're not doing the the american thing of going everything's amazing oh my yeah. god this this guy yeah. oh what a fella oh yeah baby <laughs> yeah yeah having both i think that's coming out a lot isn't it in this conversation you need mm. both mm. Mm. it's really fascinating max there is uh so much more we could talk about it's such a fascinating subject so i encourage everyone to go out and buy your book which is called billy no mates and it's fantastic and i'll put a link in the bio um for this podcast as well um, I really appreciate your time, especially as you're busy up there in Edinburgh, as this will probably go out next week when the show's still on. where uh, What's it called? Where can they see it? So it's at the underbelly uh, at 3.30pm. It's called Love Them to Death. It's like a thriller, uh, a kind of a dark, twisty thriller. So I've tried to make a piece of theatre that people who don't normally like theatre, they can come to it and go, oh, this is really juicy. So come on down if you're about... Uh, or just get the book that'd be lovely as well and uh, i just really really enjoyed this conversation sam uh i think you know the way you've showed up with your own stories make it the conversation so much more rich so thank you very much oh well it's a real pleasure max thanks all the best for both the book and the play and thanks for all your work on this it's fascinating stuff cheers sam there you go max dickens lovely bloke and such an important subject I took so much out of that, not least a reminder to value my mates and definitely to tell them I like them once in a while. Max's book is fascinating and very funny and it's out now. It's called Billy No Mates and I'll put a link to buy it in the blurb that goes under this pod. Thanks as always for listening and if you like the podcast and share it and tell your mates, you can also subscribe at samdelaney.substat.com and why not consider upgrading to the Reset Extra? It costs a fiver a month but you get a bonus extra weekly podcast and regular exclusive newsletters too. Anyway, that's it for this week. So until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.